Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of harvesting nature. We're Harvesting Nature. Uh, we're founded in 2011 as a online publication for hunters and anglers to publish articles, stories, recipes for the general public who are interested in hunting and fishing. Uh, and our main focus is to be on harvesting your own food. So harvesting your own meat, harvesting your own fish, growing vegetables, things like that. We've had foraging articles on there. Uh, we've had up to about 20 to 25 riders from all over North America, including Hawaii, Alaska, uh, couple times we had some guest writers from Europe and just over time done a really awesome job of putting out some really great recipes uh, and then in 2015 uh, I came into the Coast Guard and started in the Coast Guard in 2016 and we moved to Key West and so Key West is not known for its proximity to a lot of good hunting so things kind of that paired with deployments and being underway and stuff like that uh, kind of got in the way of the hunting side of things. Uh, the fishing was here and there as I'd be home, but uh, now we're sort of bringing things back around and as we say in the nautical community, getting a round turn on it. Um, just a little background on myself. So uh, I'm the original creator of Harvesting Nature. Uh, like I said, in 2011 was when it started and kind of got the idea to connect the dots uh, from after I got out of college and uh, had a great writing career in college and moved into the culinary world while I was in New Orleans and then from there uh, moved out to California where I was able to kind of start working different jobs but also having some free time that you wouldn't normally have as a college student which helped me uh, try to find some new passions uh, and recultivate some old, old passions. The new passions being writing and incorporating writing recipes uh, and the old passions being hunting and fishing a lot. So uh, really fostered my love for both of those and grew them a lot. And that's what created Harvest of Nature and through social media and all the other avenues. Uh, built a really great team. Uh, big shout out to Corey, uh, manager who helped out with a lot, of, uh, a lot of it throughout the years. And really just all the writers that kind of helped grow us into what we are today which is really cool. So this is an exciting point because now we're taking a step from just being a uh, written online publication to now we're going to get more into the video and audio portion. So that's the launch of this podcast. 
and sort of a lot behind this podcast, the focus will be we'll talk about the technical side of, of cooking wild game and fish because they're both very unique things. Um, and with that, we're going to kind of share some of our adventures along the way and see who we meet and see who we chat. Uh, the cool thing about having riders all over the United States uh, is that we can get some of these guys on the phone and see what they're doing in different parts of the world and different parts of the year and uh, hopefully hear some great stories and, and learn a lot about uh, the cooking side of things. Um, we'll also, from here and there, touch on some of the recipes that we've created uh, in between the different podcasts and just kind of dive into the the who's, the what's, the why's, and just kind of really just enjoy and, and chill out and talk about great stuff and probably end up hungry at the end of the episode. <laughs> Dustin and I started working together here when I got into Key West, and uh, he also kind of has a passion for the outdoors, so I asked him if he'd co-host uh, the show with me, so uh, I'll let him kind of tell you a little bit about himself. So unlike uh, unlike you, it was, it was the military that got me into the majority of hunting. Uh, I grew up in, in New Mexico, and uh, it is fishing. But for the most part, uh, my weekends and free time were spent running around. Uh, we have like the Hamas Mountain Range out there, and you know, go explore the old volcanoes out of Albuquerque and uh, the Seven Sisters and whatnot. So we were always exploring trails and doing things like that, um, fishing when we could, but uh, never really got into the hunting of it. Uh, fast forward after a couple of different uh, assignments in, in the Air Force, I got to Colorado, and that's when I really found my passion for it. Um, and the reason I wanted to do this podcast with you is because I've been seeing a lot of people are kind of confused and it, not everyone's sure about, you know, bringing their own food home. Uh, you know, it's one thing to, to prepare a fish, but as soon as it has fur, they, uh, some of them get kind of swirmy and people don't understand the benefits of it. So I kind of want to talk about that with you. Um, got into my buddy said, Hey man, you know, just like any father of a daughter, I was already had a bunch of guns, right? He says, you need to check out both. He's like, all right, well, you know, I hadn't shot a bow since I was a child. The last time I shot a bow was one of those red ones uh, from Target that you can shoot in a bag of leaves. And now all of a sudden they have fiber optics and releases and things like that. So I said, all right, I'll check this out. Um, and just the, just the feeling of, of, of shooting a good grouping with a bow at a, at a Target range was satisfying. And um, a lot of the guys in our shop were hunters, and they, they'd bring by, you know, deer jerky. They'd bring by buffalo patties and all kinds of crazy food that I, I wasn't used to. Um, and they shared their stories and, and they shared the, the benefits of it. Um, and that's what kind of got me thrown full into it. That's awesome. And now you, uh, you find yourself here talking with us about, uh, hunting and, and wild game stuff. So, um, now that you've kind of heard a little bit about us, we'll, we'll dive a little bit into some of the cooking talk. Um, if ever through the episode you have any questions, uh, feel free to shoot us an email at whatscooking at harvestingnature.com, and uh, that'll let us read those emails, and then any questions or comments or anything we can address in the, the next episode. So we'd really be appreciative of that. But to kick things off with some cooking talk, I've uh, been doing a lot of research lately. Uh, recently came home from a big hunting trip up in, in Wyoming, uh, which was a success, and we'll touch a little more on that later. But... Uh, since coming back, I've been focused a lot on utilizing the different cuts of meat and uh, also been having a lot of conversations with people about marinades, brining, and dry brining or, you know, rubs. So kind of wanted to talk about those and clear the air and just really um, dive into that specifically for, for game, um, for not as much for game birds because, I mean, that's pretty clear cut. You want to try to brine uh, as much of the game birds as you can. It'll help bring in some good flavor. There's also some different cooking techniques out there, uh, you know, dry brining and all that, that really helps retain the moisture in those poultry meats. But that's not to say um, the fact that uh, your larger big game, your elk, your venison, antelope, all that, those are all very lean meats, so right. you're not you're not experiencing the same amount of fat content as you would with, you know, uh, domestic pork or domestic beef. So you got to kind of play with uh, the meat a little different. And um, so just to kind of get into the, the definition and the concept and the science of each one, uh, just to get off the bat. So with marinades, so marinades are usually an oil or acid base. So you're looking at something like vinegar, wine, citrus, those things. And, and the common 
idea behind that is it's going to get into your meat and it's going to help break down those uh, fibrous strands inside the meat and inject flavor into it while also kind of creating this new flavor of whatever you have it. And I think, like, what's a common marinade that you think? My wife loves to use apple cider vinegar for almost everything. Okay. And, and she's done some playing around with that. Um, I, I like I like the flavors like dill weed. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love some dill and sage. We'll add something like that up. Yeah. Um, so we don't really, we don't go by a standard. We, we kind of just play around in the kitchen. I use typically uh, a good marinade you see is like, down here, especially in QS, you get like moho, which is like oil and garlic yeah. and spices, and you get yeah. orange juice and lemon juice. So you see that very common a lot with pork dishes, uh, and people let that go and sit overnight. Um, when I was in New Orleans, we had a pork recipe that we used, and uh, we would use the apple cider vinegar along with a lot of Cajun seasoning, and we would rub that down and let the meat sit over the night before we roast them. Really, you're looking for something that's going to be able to like I said, penetrate the meat. A marinade doesn't always do that, especially because you have something that's uh, oil and acid-based trying to go into something like fat and meat that has water in it. And so oil and water don't really mix. You right. get a, you know, spill oil on your driveway and it rains the next day and you still see the oil kind of sitting yeah. there. Um, so that concept. So when you apply a marinade, you let something soak, you know, say you chop up garlic you're mixing it with some Worcestershire sauce and oil and all kinds of spices and you're throwing it on a steak and you're going to toss it in the refrigerator, let it sit overnight, tomorrow pull it out, let it come up to room temp, fire up the grill and throw it on there. You're going to put it on there, it's going to cook, a lot of your oil is going to come off in the initial cooking because there's no way to bond that oil to the meat, just based on science <laughs> um the other side of that being that as you let that marinade go in if it's got any acid in it at all it's gonna start to cook quote unquote the outside layer of the meat so you're gonna have a layer of flavor about you know an eighth of an inch which isn't very much and the rest of it's gonna be just kind of the same the same as it would be without there might be some minor changes at the at the molecular level but overall you're gonna end up with something that's kind of rough and grainy have you ever seen that when you have a yeah, steak and like even you pull it out of the marinade and it looks like somebody's taken like 60 grit sandpaper and yeah. it rubbed it over the top of it yeah. so that's the acid and all that breaking down that top layer right. but once you get past that the meat's the same so you get that unique scenario whenever you're doing wild game is is because it's so lean because you're not getting that marinade inside of it when you throw it on the grill with that sear you're just kind of searing whatever's on the outside and then the inside flavors that so that kind of brings me full circle to say my recommendation would be a brine so and, and uh, if i may sure. so a brine is going to save you when it comes to especially like wild boar that meat is just so tough um the first wild hog i ever shot i, was, I couldn't wait for ribs you know and i go to bite in there and you're just fighting it uh, and that's that's when I started getting into this, and, and you still get in a good brine for you know 24, 48 hours. Depends on on how soft you want to go. It adds that moisture, and it really helps you. It breaks breaks down some enzymes and allows you to eat it with with more ease. But also, if you wanted to add any kind of marinade or uh, base after at that point when you're cooking it, then you you can always change the flavors. But uh, that brine will save you when it comes to chewing. Absolutely, and I recently. I guess not recently, it was about a year ago, we had a pig roast where we roasted, spit roasted a whole pig, mm-hmm. and so we filled an entire cooler. We did a garlic and lemongrass uh, brine, and we put the whole pig in there and let it set overnight, iced it down, kept it iced, kept it cool, and let it set in that brine until it was basically done and ready to go on the spit. And I found the flavor more inside different parts of the meat where you wouldn't is if you just season it on the outside, does that make sense? Yeah. So like you're cutting joints and you're eating meat from, you know, close to the bone and you're like, holy smokes, like I can taste the flavors of the brine. Right. Um, which is good. Uh, some of the science behind the brine, why brines work well is because it's water-based. So it's the opposite of the marinade, which is oil-based. So you already have something that's water-based being meat and something that's you're adding to it water-based. The easiest way to think of a brine is, say you have um, a sponge, right? And so your sponge, if you cook, if you were to cook that sponge in theory, you're just going to like, you know, it's going to cook and 
any liquid that's in it at all is going to evaporate out. So now picture you take a sponge with a slight bit of water in it and you pour more water on top of it and it soaks that up. So now when you put that on there, some of that excess water is going to cook off, but some of that excess it, yeah. water is going to remain, but that original water, the moisture content that was originally in there, you're never going to really get down to that unless you're making a lot of mistakes in your cooking processes. Uh, I like a brine that's composed of salt. It's going to be your main your main factor. So salt, I like to incorporate sugar because it helps kind of cut down on that salty taste. And then I incorporate like Cajun seasoning. I'm a big, so my culinary background being in New Orleans to start with, uh, a lot of Cajun Creole dishes are, are in my memory bank. So I always tend to go back to that Cajun seasoning and using those. So incorporating that in. Uh, to the brine works really well because you get a vast array of flavors. You're getting thyme, you're getting garlic, you're getting chili powder, you're getting all these different really great flavors into your meat that work really well with game meats. So once you soak that over there um, for a period of time, you know, maybe if you're doing a small cut of meat, you may be soaking it overnight. If you're doing a large roast or something heavier, you, you know, maybe soaking it for two nights just in that brine, fully submerged in the fridge. And then as you're pulling that brine out or pulling the meat out of the brine, you're going to be washing it down before it's going on the grill, making sure it's patted dry, trying to wash some of that excess salt off the outside. With brines versus marinades, I guess coming back to the brine being the more supreme, and I know there's going to be a lot of kickback on this because people are like die hard. I oh, remember. love to marinate, yeah. Throw yeah. it in the bag, leave it in the fridge, and it's good to go. Just let it marinate. Yeah, just let it marinate. <laughs> So another cool concept, um, as I've been doing some research and diving into this a little more, uh, dry brining. So that is where you're going to be taking your piece of meat and you're going to be adding an uncomfortable amount of salt to it in with your regular seasoning mix. So picture like a barbecue rub. So you see those guys on TV, they're rubbing down a rack of ribs and it's like completely coated with, uh, with whatever seasonings that they're putting in there. And dry brine is kind of the same concept, except for uh, you're increasing the salt, and then the salt's basically uh, doing its job to help tenderize and add flavor to the meat uh, internally as well as on the outside. So the one thing with the dry brine, and a good recipe for this, if you go in and take a look at the Mediterranean steaks that we have, um, it's a hummus recipe, it's Mediterranean steaks, utilize the dry brine really well in that. Uh, for those steaks to cut those up and it really helps taste the flavor all the way through the meat which is really awesome but what's your uh, take on uh, injecting so I so you're taking a marinade basically and you're localizing it into different parts of the meat so that you're trying to get that retention inside the meat but you're essentially just cooking the marinade inside mm -hmm. which is the same concept as it passes maybe between muscle tissues, that marinade is going to sit there. So yeah, you cut the piece of meat, you're going to eat the piece of meat, and you're going to get the flavor. So yeah, would I say that would probably be more effective over, you know, throwing it. Soaking just, it in a bag. Yeah, yeah. soaking it in a bag. <laughs> but then you have to come back and think about, can you? are you going to inject a steak? Are you going to inject one piece of meat? And they normally right. you see people injecting, and they're going to do big chunks of meat, and it's going to be trying to do a lot and mm -hmm. slow cooking and doing something that because um, maybe you fast cook it sear it or do something and you don't quite cook all the flavor i don't know that's interesting i didn't wrap my head around injections because i kind of separated it into a couple different categories yeah i, ne I never really bought into injecting meat um, i don't like i don't like too much extra flavor too because I, I love the flavor of the meat so i, I don't want to water it down i mean adding flavors can be good but i don't want to i don't want to cancel out the flavor of the actual meat yep I, I agree with that and that's a big thing you know a lot of people I guess we'll go down this road but it's people talk about gaming and <laughs> that gaming. absolutely uh, bothers me on so many levels um, that flavor itself just tells a lot of stories about the meat mm -hmm. about the animal about where it comes from about what it's ate right um, like an antelope yeah know, eating, eating sage all the time that meat is delicious Yep, but there's a lot of people that argue with you and say that meat is garbage. And it's either guys don't know how to cook it or they just, right. you know, there's a whole, I think there's a lot of group of people, especially you see a lot in Wyoming, um, in the area we hunt at, a lot of people hunt antelope, but a lot of people hunt antelope bucks. Mm -hmm. 
and they're looking for like good sized bucks. Some of those are getting eaten, some of those are not. Right. Um, popped my head into the processor while we were up there and we were talking about meats and they're, I mean, it was like, what's probably like the most popular cut or what are you doing? What do people want? Breakfast sausage, antelope breakfast sausage. Oh, yeah. So you're taking, you're taking that, they're throwing fat in there and spices and they're doing it all in house and that's like people, that's all they want. I mean, it's, it's not a, a far concept for people to be stuck on one growing up in Oklahoma, like people will eat here but you have a lot of people who are like I just want jerky I just want snack sticks I yeah. just want the back straps and then turn everything else into hamburger yeah and I think a lot that comes because they don't know how to fully extract and utilize the flavor in the meats and so you get this one thing like hey let me find something I'm comfortable to cook with right, right. something that looks kind of familiar mm-hmm. that I can pour a bunch of stuff, maybe a marinade on, (laughs) and cook it up and feel okay about eating it. And it's funny, I see a lot on Facebook the whole like, oh, what do you, what do you think about eating lamb or what do you think about roasting lamb? I don't know, lamb's kind of gamey. To me, a lot of modern agriculture practices that evolved over time, so you get giant feedlots, you get things, there's a whole conversation between grass-fed beef, corn-fed beef grain-fed, all these different things of like how it affects the taste of the meat, right. that same concept exists in the wild. Like you take a white-tailed deer that's farm-raised, that's grain-fed, that's all this coming off a farm, and you go over 30 minutes and you shoot a deer the same exact age, you know, within mm-hmm. a reasonable proximity to this place, but eating completely different stuff, and you put them side by side, and they're right. going to taste different. And I have a small theory on that too. So... You buy a steak from the store. You go to Winn-Dixie Publix, Walmart, Supercenter, wherever. Uh, where did that meat come from? You don't, you don't even know the farm it came from. You don't know where it came from. You don't know what you know, hormones, anything that they put into that animal for whatever reasons. Um, yeah. I think I think when you have an operation that just pumps out these animals, it, it can cause it to almost – you get used to this bland, basic taste of meat. I know if I shot an animal and I harvest a deer, I know where it came from. Now I can't control if if the grass it was eating the, the, the farmer used you know GMO stuff to 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 plant it or fertilize yeah. or whatever I can't you can't control that but I know it's basically been grass to meat you know yep so at least th- that kind of helps with when when I'm looking at it and what I, what I'm tasting and what I'm seeing uh, I'm okay with that I, I don't I don't get the game gamey taste anymore I guess so let me ask you this so coming back from a hunt like you did. Uh, Missouri whitetail, myself coming back from Wyoming, um, whitetail antelope, freezer full of meat. We talked about this last night. I had freezer, maybe not freezer full, don't want to be braggart. Got enough meat to get by for a little bit, (laughs) which is good. So um, I had this thought the other day. So in the grocery store, I stop. I mean, I don't buy meat. I don't like to buy meat um, from the store, really. I'm the only person in my house that eats it. My wife doesn't eat meat at all. Mm -hmm. She eats fish. And my daughter, we came to agreement based on my wife's dietary choices to kind of find a middle of the road. So the agreement was, hey, if you go hunt it or if it comes from your family's farm, like we know the origin, exactly right, what right. you're talking about, then she can have it. But like my daughter's never had chicken from the store. Going to the store now and I look and I'm like, oh man, I'd like to get, you know, maybe like a nice steak or going to the local butcher shop. Uh, we had a little farm stand there that visited today and I was looking at the steaks and I was there and I was like, still no matter how much I hunt and I do eat and I love wild game. It's still like in the back of my head, like, Ooh, nice T-bone, nice New York strip. So do you find yourself buying less meat and second restaurants? I started like, now I'm sitting down to the restaurant. I'm eating, I've got my menu there and I'm like, like, I know the meat that they're going to serve me is not going to taste like the meat at home, which right. I find more supreme. Right. And I've even been like, you know what? I'm sorry. Like, I don't want to eat this anymore. My wife's like, what's wrong? I was like, I just, it's got no flavor. Right. So when we go back to that gamey taste, so right. in a way I've, you know, I fight this internal battle where my mind does to play like, Hey, do you want, you know, farm raised meat? Do you yeah. want wild game? I say just flavor. Yeah. Not, not gamey. Gamey as a, there's a stigma behind it, right? Like yep. If it's, it's too gamey, describe it. What are you tasting? I don't know. It's just no, tell me. Like, what, what are you tasting? Is it? Are there any flavors at all? Is it? Is it bitter? Is it sweet? What, what are you tasting? They, they can't describe it. And I think a lot of that is in their head. Um, you go to the supermarket. 
right? You look down, you see nice rack of ribs, you see T-bone steak, meat, just out on, out on display. You go on Instagram, you post a picture of you dressing a deer, everyone starts hitting that hide it button because it's, it's all of a sudden looking at meat. And I'm not talking about an animal that's just gushing blood. I'm talking it's it's been hung in a tree for two days, it's aired out, and now you're starting to you know take the hide off it and, and quarter it out. And people see that, and they, just, they get offended by it because they know, oh, it was hunted and killed. Well, what do you think happened to the cow? Do you think they read out a story and gave it some sleepy drink and, it, you know, just turned into meat? No, it, it's the same thing. There's um, like a general disconnect um, between where your food is coming from and the plate. And I, I think I've touched on that over the years several times. Mm-hmm. A lot of articles, a lot of right. podcasts and everything else that I've been on. And that's like one of the main driving factors of like why I think people who are promoting the outdoors in a positive way, not your like stereotypical redneck, but like the person who's out there, you know, trying to be conscious about their choices, being a responsible hunter, harvesting their own meat, respecting right. the animal and using the meat to its full ability. And you respect it a lot more. Yeah. When, when you take its life yep. and you and you prepare to eat it, you respect a lot more. How many times have you gone hunting with someone and you thank the animal after? Yeah. And, and people see that, you know, on, on Avatar or all these these movies on TV where, where they see – they don't understand. It, when someone thanks the animal, it, it there, there's, there's a big disconnect when yeah. it comes to taking your own food. And, I mean, even, like, say you're raising chickens at your house uh-huh. and, like, you're going to go out there. And, and I remember as a kid popping a chicken up and popping yeah. its head off and, like, we're plucking it. And now are like, some people um, – you know, not maybe not through any choice of their own, have never been introduced to that moment right. and never had the experience and they're turned off from it, which, you know, every person is different, but I'm not saying that I encourage people to go out and pop the heads off chickens. <laughs> um, and you know, but it'd be easier because feathers and scales people can deal with. They have no yeah. problem with feathers and scales, you know, and, and people have pet fish in aquariums. People have pet birds like parrots and whatnot but when it comes to chicken yeah it's food it tastes good when yeah. it comes to fish oh i love it i love a good fish you know a good swordfish but when it comes to something that looks cute and really bambi you know um posted a picture of a it was a small doe this is up in missouri um wasn't by any means any kind of trophy or anything like that but it was good clean meat in the freezer you know someone sees a picture and sort of oh, why'd you kill bambi you know and they, they get upset about it but it's different because they're okay with with birds and fish yeah i i think there's been a lot to you ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. They talk about, like, movies and the personification of the animals, like... Bambi did so much damage to two to three generations of children who are now coming up and, you know, are becoming hunters or are right. or are not based on how, you know, they took in yeah, that movie. Right. And I think that was a huge blow. But you continue to see that throughout different films of like, hey, you know, how do you approach an animal? And I think hunters as conservationists love animals and have a lot of appreciation for animals. But also, you know, we, we look at animals different, like, oh, wow, that's a really graceful elk, majestic. Mm-hmm. You know, you spend 20 minutes watching it through your scope or your binoculars, even though you don't even have a tag, just because it's that moment to say, like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. But then you shift gears and be like, oh, that's really cool, to also being like, I'm here to hunt. I'm here to obtain that meat, right. that food for my family. So it's now also important to separate myself from this majestic look and say, hey, I have to take this animal's life, you know, be at the right moment, the right circumstances, and then move from, hey, this is an animal, but it's also my food. Right. And I think not having those experiences and not seeing it um, is probably, that's probably the, the big disconnect. So I mentioned we go through a portion of recipe review and sort of kind of talk talk about the the whys and hows. Really, when I sit down and write a recipe, what I tend to do is I tend to look at one what I want to eat, uh, two what I think my family will eat because that's also really important. Because if not, 
I'm going to be eating a lot of it by myself for the next couple of days. Right. And I don't care how food good food is, if you try to eat something three or four days in a row, you're like, oh. So, for the first one, Antelope Sloppy Joe Sliders. Uh, this came about not my most recent trip to Wyoming, but my first trip to Wyoming, which was in 2015. It was my very first time to go to Wyoming, my first time to hunt antelope. And we went up with a, a group of friends and stayed in this big house. And like, as we're processing, we're thinking about like, oh, what, what would we want to cook? What would we want to prepare? And, you know, thinking about the flavor profiles, you know, we cooked up a little bit of the meat as we were there and tasted it. And, you know, you get a lot of the sage, deep sage profiles in the meat and stuff like that. And we got in a big conversation of like sage and citrus and pairing those things together. And, and you think about comfort foods too, because mm-hmm. I like, I like comfort foods. Uh, I like really fancy foods yeah. and I like comfort foods. Um, and somewhere in the middle, I don't know where the barrier is of like, where I'm not as interested, but I swing drastically both ways to one or the other. It's like, oh, I want yeah. fried chicken or I want foie gras. No, I, I get it. I'm, I'm the same way. Um, I generally don't like a lot of flavors. Like I said, I like the flavor of the meat. Um, so every now and then I'll feel a little squirrely, you know, and uh, decide to add a little bit of seasoning or do something like that. Or mainly when I'm cooking for the family. Sometimes yeah. I'll want stuff. But um, for the most part, I like it a little uh, – why do I want clean, lean meat, right? I don't want to add a bunch of extra stuff. I don't want to add things that have more more carbs and sugars and things like that because now I'm making it – you know, in my mind, it's getting more and more unhealthy, um, even even at a small, tiny fraction of what it is. But um, when the time does come or when, when I'm cooking for others, like you said, not eating alone, uh, then I want to be able to season it right. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, so it's hard to – you know, as a chef, that's one of the biggest challenges, like – people come in and their paycheck or their check their receipt and their confidence to order whatever dish is they're essentially like gambling on your taste buds right that what you create and what you put on paper Mm -hmm. and you throw in the pan and put on the plate is going to be something that appeals to them that's why you get all these cult followings to different chefs so it's often hard to try to please everybody right and you just have to come you know i have come to the fact that sometimes you're not going to please everyone and that's okay but I understand what you're saying specifically with ingredients so I'm also very picky uh, as you go through recipes on Harvest in Nature and you take a look and even look at our cookbook and, and anything that you see my name on I'm very particular about what goes into it mm-hmm. and you'll see um, what I consider like a lot of whole ingredients so you have you know your liquid ingredients your dry ingredients your spices all these different things so by whole I mean you're not like we're going to have mac and cheese and I'm going to, you know, pull out the Velveeta box and right. throw some pasta in there. Like it's going to be a more thoughtful, thorough, homemade, I guess you could say it's probably the easiest thing. Like you go through, look at my pantry and you're not going to find a lot of processed foods. You're going to find right. a lot of like the first step ingredients, the flours, the baking powders, the salts, the sugars, the, all mm-hmm. that. And then that stuff's getting combined to make something better. So as you go through that, um, those ingredients you're gonna see those very same things you know there's some things in modern time like you know almost the sloppy joes like i was like oh man what bread do i want to use so i could use a hamburger bun i could use this you know i'm not a baker i'll, right. I'll say that first and foremost you'll see very few baking dishes from me um just because i'm that requires a level of skill and patience that you know, I yeah. went a different way in the kitchen. You know, in that recipe, for instance, you see Hawaiian sweet rolls. Yeah, well, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, <laughs> who doesn't love Hawaiian sweet rolls? Please, if you don't like <laughs> Hawaiian sweet rolls, email in and I'll apologize. But until then, Hawaiian sweet rolls with our Sloppy Joes it is. So the cool thing about these Sloppy Joes is the sauce is homemade. So it's no mm. no can of Sloppy Joe mix. I remember that as a kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Make like a little sandcastle. It comes yep. out and just sits there for a second before it goes. <laughs> yep. I haven't tasted it as an adult. I don't know. I imagine it would not be what I thought it was as a kid. Uh, not knocking anybody who likes it, just not my cup of tea. So running through the recipe, like your basic ingredients, like I said, all kind of come together. Uh, you'll find some options for spice and cayenne pepper, chipotle, different things like that. But I think the coolest part of that, one being sliders, so you can dress them differently. And what I say by dressing is adding different um, 
garnishes to them. So you like grilled jalapenos, pickle slices, yes. shredded cabbage. You can melt cheese with it. So really, you're looking to do whatever makes you happy. This it's probably a great move. My kid devoured it. So my daughter's seven, and like I said, she only gets wild game, so neat. So whenever she does get it, it's like she's the instant test if it's good or bad. Right. She'll be like, Ugh. And kids are honest about food. Oh, yeah. Kids are honest about food. Biggest critic. <laughs> my daughter's my biggest food critic, and my wife's right. like my biggest photography and writing critic. So together we are a team. Nice. <laughs> um, but so that option to have like different things on the bun – Versus one big one and you get like halfway through it and you're like, man, I think I put too much cheddar on here. You know, you can just go straight away with that. So uh, that's a cool little recipe. So venison pumpkin pot pie. Oh, we're talking. Yep. Just in time for the holidays. Just in time. So this one I put out right before Halloween uh, with the notion that people have pumpkins mm-hmm. left over. So in my opinion... Um, I think pumpkin's a really underutilized ingredient in a lot of cooking um, today, a lot of home cooking, you know, fresh pumpkin mm-hmm. too, like not canned pumpkin has its place, but if you can get fresh pumpkin, which is right now, you can get a pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks, right. you can get a fresh pumpkin to cut up and use for your cooking, and it's super right. easy. Once you steam them or like mince them down pretty low, they're going to be great in just about anything. Uh, they pair really well with just about every type of wild game, right? Uh, especially um, flaky, crunchy doughs, which is what I used. And like I said, you don't often see the pre-made stuff, but baking, there you go, <laughs> flaky doughs. I do have some dough recipes that I made from scratch, but this one I chose to go with like kind of a puff pastry type dough, which you'll see in my mind. You'll see that triggers a thought. I'm like, Got it. So uh, when I was in England, was it three years, four or five, five years ago, um, you get a lot of pot pies there, okay. and they're puff pastries that are filled with things. So you have like a dish, and then on the top of it'll be like this giant puff pastry, and then you crack it, and then down in the bottom is that. So tracing the origins of pot pies finds itself in a lot of Western European influence. So this one has it. You're using an old stock recipe from uh, the website and cast iron. Cast iron, cast iron, cast if iron. I, if I could only cook off cast iron for the rest of my life, I'd be okay. I mean, it sounds like a good challenge. <laughs> so the other thing, too, is I incorporated some inspiration off some Jamaican cooking because, uh, surprisingly enough, Jamaican recipes uh, use pumpkin in several dishes. So I thought, hey, it'd be cool to take this venison and pumpkin and give it some unique flavors so you see things like allspice a little more black pepper some bay leaves so you're moving now from like a hearty dish into like a really flavorful spicy dish as well so it's not like you're just taking some regular beef stew and throwing in there there's going to be some different flavors that really marry the pumpkin and the venison together so Homemade antelope ravioli and sage brown butter sauce. So we already talked a little bit about sage and brown, or we didn't talk about brown butter, but we talked about sage and antelope because that being the thing that they commonly eat, those who haven't been to Wyoming, sage is everywhere and antelope tend to like it. A great way to locate antelope herds is to kind of look around and see food sources and water sources and one of those food sources being sage so you can learn to identify Uh, native sage plants in their natural environment that will help you identify where or where not antelope may be when you you, you taste through your nose type thing sage just smells yep so pleasant yep especially after a nice rain it's one of the the best things about new mexico fond memories of crawling through sage covered hills to get to where they're waiting antelope herds and you always stop or at least i always stop and take a moment i'm like Sage smells really good. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so ravioli, uh, I was going to go with just kind of individual raviolis, and I was going to use a squash-filled ravioli. And um, my lovely wife deterred me. She said it's just ravioli, and I was going to sear the steaks and just be done with it and mm-hmm. throw, like, the sage and brown butter sauce on top, which I still think is really great. So if you have the option, you don't have the time uh, or the resources to make homemade ravioli, you know, using, grabbing something from the store and cooking those up, 
Uh, I would recommend like a acorn squash or like one of the winter squash filled ones because those will pair really well with the antelope. And then using that sage brown butter sauce. Uh, sage brown butter sauce is pretty simple. You essentially just take sage and throw it in a pan of melted butter and just let it simmer for a little bit. See the picture? Oh yeah, That's zucchini. Yeah. So I love zucchini. Zucchini and squash. Oh yeah, always. Um, I use a cool little ravioli maker that I picked up at the uh, the restaurant supply store here in town, and you just lay your first thing of dough out, push this little press over, and it makes the divots. You take a tablespoon of your filling and put in each one, and then you put back on top of it another piece of dough, and then you take a rolling pin, you roll over the top, and it's got these little indentions where you can see it cuts the dough, but in like that cool little zigzag okay, pattern. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise you have to get one of those rollers and you like roll it out and then you end up like rolling off to the side that way. So this, you just do it in there and it makes like 10 raviolis. Super simple, super sweet. So in that, um, inside of the uh, ravioli, I did some asaggio cheese. Asaggio is similar to Parmesan cheese, so it's kind of salty. So that helps add a little extra flavor to the antelope loin, which is what I cubed up and used. Um, and then your basic like pasta recipe and the ravioli press. And there you see a sage brown butter sauce with some mushrooms in it. Uh, boom. So good. So good. Uh, and then the last of the recipes I'm going to touch on, and this was probably out of the past couple weeks, the most popular of the recipes that, uh, that was published on the website and I, I did title it very uniquely and I want people to know why I title it this way so it's American venison scotch eggs and I just said American venison so as you like do your research and look around on scotch eggs you get a lot of English right so um, venison in England is I mean it's not different it is different but it's not different but just like right. it's more common to see in restaurants and places than it is here in the u.s so like you go in you're like oh you know scotch eggs with venison and you're like oh look at this it's a it's an english recipe right. or whatever right. so i just think it's cool because i want to highlight it's american venison <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so the really cool feature of this is i mean scotch eggs are great um soft boiled eggs just make your heart warm from everything to scotch eggs all the way over to the... Runny fix anything. Oh, man. Put runny yolk on anything. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm a big fan of the yolks. Uh, I saw recently somebody was curing yolks. Have you ever done that? Mm-mm. I haven't either. So you take them and you, you pull off the whites, separate them, and then you're going to take the yolk itself and you're going to put it in salt yeah. and essentially going to like dehydrate it basically and cure it into like a solid brick ah. and then people take it and you shave it over food like you would parmesan okay. with like a grater or yeah. a fine grater and it like you get that really rich yolky flavor but there's no bacteria in it because you've right. had it in the salt to cure mm, no yolk no yolk <laughs> <laughs> no yoking around here <laughs> um mustard seeds uh mustard awesome ingredient mm. uh, i really like it i like whole mustard seeds um pickling it gives you something really cool where you end up somewhere between like little tapioca beads and whole grain mustard okay but with a much better flavor so you're pickling them you're allowing them to rehydrate where they're still retaining that flavor and you're getting some cool apple cider cayenne all these different cool flavors and purple onion um at the restaurant Pink US that I consult and work a lot with, uh, purple onion, pickled purple onion is, goes on everything. Right. I absolutely love it. Cloves, bay leaves, all that oh, stuff in there. Crazy. You just let it sit in there for like two days and then you put it on tacos, you're putting it on rice, you're putting it on this and like, I don't know, pickled, pickled foods are great. Maybe it's a bring back a pickled food revolution. Uh, so the coolest thing about this is to kind of put a spin on a traditional recipe, I used cornflakes as huh. my batter okay. for the scotch eggs, which gave it like a real unique crunch. I'm not talking about like frosted flakes, so um, I don't care how great they are. I don't, I don't know if I could take the sweet with it, so I just stuck right. with the regular. Um, but it came out really good. I was happy. Um, the basis of the meat rate, of the meat recipe is uh, based off our breakfast sausage recipe that's okay. on Harvesting Nature. I did a, a while back, like 
five years ago, but still really good venison breakfast sausage recipe. And so to kind of talk about recipes, I think that's that's kind of kind of all I got in way of food. Uh, we did talk about the dry marinade with the grilled Mediterranean antelope steaks and hummus with Israeli salad. Have you ever had Israeli salad? No. Oh, it's phenomenal. It's very basic. There's like five ingredients. Okay. Uh, we make it by the bowlful, and it won't last two days. It's literally just like tomato, onion, parsley, cucumber, right. olive oil, lemon juice, salt, pepper. Right. Done. Nice. And it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, but when you pair that with some hummus, and this is homemade hummus too, so you're using dry beans that you're soaking overnight, that you're putting in the blender, that you're doing all these magical things with mm-hmm. and putting great spices, sumac, and all those other things that you find in, in the Mediterranean countries. Yeah. Uh, comes out really, really great. And with the antelope, uh, it paired really well. Throw it in the pita, and you will not regret your decision. So, and then today, uh, you actually, you tasted this last night. So, I we did. were having a little pre-podcast meeting, and I was like, hey, man, come over. I got some antelope steaks. And uh, so, this is November. Mm-hmm. We're filming this. It's the last week of November. Um, you'll hear this podcast in just a couple of days from the day we're recording it, which sounds weird when you say it, it's like I'm speaking the future. <laughs> um, but, uh, to celebrate Native American Heritage Month, so as many of you may or may not know, I myself am a member of the Chalk Foundation in Oklahoma, so I think this is a great month, and celebrate it through culinary endeavors is no better way to do it. So, here you have, like, an, the Denny's All-American Grand Slam, but it's not breakfast. It's just an American Grand Slam. Yeah. So, uh, antelope steaks over corn. So, it's just like kind of a corn saute. Corn, onions, garlic, salt, pepper. Very simple, very straightforward. We took a antelope steak, and this is where the cool part comes. We had a big discussion on this, and this was the first time. So, this goes back to doing a lot of research. I'm a big research guy. I like to look in all different avenues before I kind of make a decision or plan, and that includes cooking. I have like a stack of cookbooks that I reference a lot. And in my diggings and researching, I found uh, the use of mayo, mayonnaise. That was interesting. Mayonnaise. (laughs) People say it different. Mayonnaise. I don't know. Um, Coating meats and mayonnaise before you're searing them on the grill or in the cast iron pan. And I had the steaks, I had the mayonnaise, I had everything I really needed. So uh, I decided, hey, this would be a great thing to do. Um, whether it turns out good or it turns out bad, if it turns out bad, I'll just send everything home with Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it turned out great, and we both tried it. So I was really impressed. I took the spices incorporated in with the mayonnaise because I was a little nervous. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to eat this, and it's going to taste like cool, like, Cool whip. Cool. Like, um, you know, it it kind of it did its job and it left. There's no no residual yeah. flavors. I no tasty mayonnaise whatsoever. I, don't, I honestly I didn't taste any mayonnaise at all. I mean, you maybe would have like you get in the crevasses or something like where you you would taste it, but I don't. I, don't I couldn't. Know. I couldn't find it. Yeah, I couldn't either. Um, the roasted red pepper. That was a cool feature. Base just basically like roast it till it's blistered. And same with a half an onion and throw those in there with a little tablespoon of stock to give it a little bit of uh, liquid consistency and then put it in the blender. Boom. That's it. Super simple. Uh, fried hominy. You... That was interesting. Yeah. yeah. You, you never had... Never you, had it before. Not, I'd never had fried hominy before. I love hominy. We use it a lot in traditional cooking. Hominy is very popular. Pozole. We talked a lot about that last night. Um, I actually love pozole. It's really good. Good hangover food. Yeah, especially has some green chili. Yeah, green chili. Um, so we're using hominy and letting it set in water. Fresh is better. If you can't get fresh, use can. Uh, fresh dried hominy is a more challenge to come by, but it can be found. And so once you get it to a nice soft consistency that you want, you want to rinse it really well and then let it dry really, really well. And the reason is that because you're going to put it in oil that's like 350 degrees, oil, water, don't mix, especially hot water, cold oil, or any water. Or no, hot oil, cold water. There you go. Got it backwards. Uh, They don't mix well, so you end up with a lot of popping. So I did find out that the hominy itself does pop. Okay. Kind of like popcorn. It really did. So I was 
doing that and putting it, it popped once and I was like, oh man. And it, uh, I felt it and got me in the arm. And so I was digging in the cabinet kind of below and to the left of the stove to try to get it uh, like a wire mesh strainer that fit over the top of the pot like perfectly. So I was reaching down to get that and it popped again and actually <laughs> hit me in the back of the head. And I was like, I probably have a blister. When food fights back. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Don't have to worry about getting gored by deer antlers just popping hominy. (laughs) Um, So uh, it does pop. So if you do decide to fry the hominy after you coat it in flour and cornstarch, be sure to use a little bit of a cover um, to prevent kitchen mishaps. So uh, that's kind of all I have to touch about on recipes or talk i guess this has been a pretty good episode so far this is our pilot episode for those who don't know if you're looking at our podcast online you're probably seeing like hey there's only one so obviously this is the first one uh with that dustin you have any misfires or alibis no but i'd like to uh bring forward a, a family secret that, that i'm willing to share for a christmas wild ham next uh, episode okay christmas wild ham family secret recipe yeah all right, I'm but it's always it's always out of the office, so I think it's time for me to, to share that out in the open. Maybe good. And next week we're gonna we're gonna play with uh, deer livers. We're gonna try some Absolutely. pâtés. Absolutely. And some venison um, pâté. Cook some innards, uh, which would be good. So I just want to thank everybody for listening uh, to our first episode of Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game podcast. Uh, at the end of each episode, you can go browse till you're heart's content all of the show notes which will include the links to all the recipes any topics we talk about and things like that uh, also head over to social media we're on instagram twitter facebook tumblr you name it we're probably there and have been for a while just look for harvest in nature and give us a like give us a follow um, go browse some of the photos and videos of our different adventures both in the kitchen and a field and uh, please, like I said, emails with questions, comments. If you have something you're curious about cooking and you, you want to get some info, shoot us a note at what's cooking at harvestingnature.com. Also, too, as you're wrapping up your listening here, click over on the subscribe button on whatever application you're using for so that you can get the most up-to-date uh, episodes of our podcast, which we should be putting out every other week at this point. So we're looking at doing two a month. Uh, as we go out into the field, we're planning on taking some of our equipment, which is also mobile, as you can see, these fancy headsets. So we'll be filming from cool places like the Everglades, Wyoming, Missouri, Oklahoma, who knows, wherever else, boats, planes, trains, automobiles, and tents. But once again, thank you. there and the fish are where you think they are any one of these casts could be the bite it's the most exciting fishing that i know right here at hawks cave oh that's awesome experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer don't miss thursdays with saltwater experience brought to you by golden boat lifts every thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.